Say this with me, Father in heaven, thank you for this word. It is the absolute truth, and I believe it. It is your personal love letter to me, and I receive it. It's the answer to my questions and the answer to the world's issues. Lord, today, my ears are ready to hear your word. My heart is ready to receive your word. And I, by faith, am ready to be a doer of the word, no matter what comes my way. Now, Father, as we approach your word today, I thank you that, as you said, you have taken your law, you have taken your word, and you have inscribed it upon our hearts, O God. And we've gathered this morning to grow in the knowledge of your word and to come to know you a little more and a little better than we did yesterday, Father. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said... Amen. Well, some of you are here today because you regularly attend church. You regularly come to Faith Christian Center. Others of you are visiting. Uh, maybe you have come with our van ministry, and we are glad that you are here, glad that you've taken time to join us today. And we have a little snack that we'll bless you with in a little while. But as you're here, every one of us has come from different walks. And, you know, I've been meditating over this past week. Lord, why do we gather together on a Sunday morning? What is the purpose of your church? And we are to gather together as a local body. There are assemblies. There are local bodies all over this region meeting today. And we gather here at this local assembly so that we can connect with God as a group, as one body, as a family, and we can be filled up and we can go out these double doors and we can begin to minister to the people that God has placed in our path. Because every one of us has a scope of authority and every one of us has a scope of influence. And so God has time for us to gather together on a Sunday and equip one another and to go out into the world and do what he's called us to do. And so today as we study his word, I want to take you back to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, if you would go to Hebrews chapter 11 11 with me. Hebrews is a fascinating book because it was written to the Jewish converts to Christianity. What happened during this time were the first century church was predominantly Jewish converts to Christianity. You know, Jesus was crucified and Jesus said, salvation has come first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. When Jesus said, go into all the world, he said, start in Jerusalem. So the majority of these converts to Christianity are Jews. And so what's happening here is we have become a little bit in our 21st century, we have become a little bit, you know, apathetic towards the return of Christ. We know someday he'll appear, but in our minds, we don't live like our first century brothers and sisters did. In fact, they lived with such an expectancy that Christ could return at any moment. At any moment, that is the way this first century church lived. And I want to ask us today as we, as we begin, how would our lives look differently right now if we were to live right now in this moment like Christ could return at any moment? What relationships would we restore? What people, what neighbors would we reach out to? What would our lives look like How different would it be if we lived with that same expectancy? And so these Jews are starting to fall into apathy because two things are happening. Two things are happening to these Jews. They're coming under severe persecution and they're starting to believe that maybe Jesus won't return in their lifetime. And so as a result, they're becoming disillusioned. 
And so the writer, we don't know who the writer is, but the writer picks up the pen and begins to write this book called Hebrews because it was written to these Jewish converts. And they're starting to get disillusioned and say, maybe, maybe we should go back to where we came from. Maybe we should go back to the religious practices of Judaism because at least in that, we know how to do our sacrifices. We know how to be righteous before God. We know how to please the Lord through these sacrifices. And the writer picks up the pen and says, you don't understand. You can't go back to where you came from because the ultimate sacrifice has come and his name is Jesus. And so this message is also to us this morning. Flash forward to the 21st century, because guess what? Every one of you who's sitting here, who's a Christian, who's born again, has been called out of this world and into God's kingdom of love through his dear son, Jesus. But you know what? We become like the Hebrews. We become like the Jews. We've been Christians for so long, we can easily become disillusioned and think, ah, you know, Jesus is going to return, but it's probably not going to be in my lifetime. And so as a result, we think, you know what? I don't know. It's really tough to be a Christian in the 21st century. Maybe, maybe I should back off a little bit. Maybe, I, you know what? I'll go to church a couple times a month. I'll, I'll, I'll read, I'll pray, but I'm not going to go all in. I'm, I'm not going to give every part of me because I'm just, I'm not sure about this whole thing. And so as we go through this study this morning, I encourage you, I challenge you to check yourself. I challenge you to discover where am I today in my Christian walk? Because we're going to see here in Hebrews chapter 11, as we pick up in verse 8, that God is calling us back to him, not back to where we came from, but he's calling us back to him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, you can read along or read on the screens, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. Everyone say, go out. To the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations. Everyone say, foundations whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him, capital H, that's God, faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, that's Abraham, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. As we study these eight passages today, I want us to begin to see that our Christian walk is really a sojourn. A sojourn. We are, in, in effect, sojourners. We are pilgrims who are seeking a homeland. We actually do not belong to this world. That's why it doesn't fit. 
That's why when we get born again, everything, although in the beginning, everything seems amazing because God is just pouring out all of who he is on us. But the longer we are Christians, the more we realize, man, this, this, this is tough. This, this is kind of uncomfortable. You know, I don't fit in with the world. That's because we're not supposed to fit in with the world. And the enemy is working so hard in our 21st century to wear down young and old, to get us to quit, to get us to look back and go back and say, you know what? It was easier back there. But we know that that's dangerous to begin to look back. And so sojourners are realizing that this is not our home, that we have a homeland. You know, there's a lot of talk even in our Christian circles today. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about faith, but there's so much talk in our Christian circles about, and, and, and I'm not coming against anyone, but there's so much talk in our Christian circles about your best life now that we forget that this is not our home. That our whole purpose on this earth is not to make our absolute best life now. Because I could show you 12 disciples who it didn't work out so well for them. I could show you an apostle who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and it didn't look like his best life now. Because they understood something that we have to awaken ourselves to. Yes, there are great things that God wants us to experience and enjoy right here on this earth. But we seek a homeland. We seek something far out there in the future for each and every one of us, a promise that Jesus will return. Unfortunately, so much of what we do in this life, even unintentionally, is to try to find security and safety in something that will last. But the bad news, or maybe the good news, is that there is nothing as secure and nothing as sure as Jesus Christ as the foundation of our lives. We have to make it our absolute aim and goal that Christ be the foundation of our lives, not the things that we can put our faith in, not the stocks that we can put our faith in, not the security of my job today, not the promise of this relationship that's here right now, but Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God. Why? Because everything in this life could fade away everything. Paul says, I know how to abound and I know how to be abased and yet I've learned contentment in all things. So whatever situation I find myself, I know how to be content. You know, young Christians get so disillusioned because they make a decision for Christ and then they say, wow, man, this is getting kind of hard. I don't understand. I thought I, I thought I chose the best life. I thought that God has all these great things for me. He does, but it doesn't come without resistance. Peter looked to Jesus and he said, well, what about us, Jesus? And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. There's no one who has given up his life for the sake of the gospel of me who will not receive a hundred times more in this life. Don't forget the closing part of the statement, yet with persecution. And I go back to what I shared a few weeks ago about being upstream. The Christian walk is an upstream walk. It is an uphill walk. And we have to remember that. Scripture says here, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. So I want to bring you back to that day when you were born again. It took faith for you to obey God, to go somewhere you didn't know where you were going. But what happened? Something came alive inside of you. By the hearing of the word of God, faith comes by hearing. And something came alive inside of you on the day when you were born again. And all you knew was you had to respond 
You, you couldn't help but respond. But you didn't know where you were going. You didn't even know what it was going to cost you. And for those of you who came to pray up here, you didn't know until after you prayed that you had to walk over to that room. What's behind the curtain? You have no idea. We have no idea what it's going to cost us. All we know is we responded. And the scripture says here, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out. You applied faith when you obeyed God, when you chose to be called out of this world and come into God's kingdom. You didn't know where you were going. So each and every one of us has that call that's upon our life. And Colossians 1.13 tells us that God himself has called us out. He has drawn us out. He has transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. And we don't always know what that looks like, but it takes faith and obedience to come out from the power of this world. God told Abraham, you come, get out of the land of your fathers and you come to a land which I will show you. That takes faith to step out when you don't know where you're going. And the first step into Christianity is to say, okay, I don't know which way it is. I don't know where I'm going exactly, but I'm going to step into this walk because something has changed inside of me and I must respond. And you know, uh, Thomas said to Jesus, when Jesus was getting ready to depart, Thomas said, Jesus, we, we don't know the way. We don't, we don't know where you're going. You know, as humans, we always want to make it a question of where. But God always brings it back to an answer of who. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way. The woman at the well made it about where do we worship? Jesus said, God is the who you worship. Thomas said, where are you going? Jesus said, I am the way. And see, I know in our Christian walk, we don't always know what's coming down the pike. We don't always know what we're going to face. But if we keep our eyes on Jesus, if we keep our eyes on him, we will run this race and we will be successful. See, Jesus is out there. He is out there on the other side. Don't make the mistake. The Holy Spirit is here with us now. Jesus has prepared a place for us in heaven. We've got to come back alive to the realization that heaven is real. We have a homeland we're going to someday. And so the struggle and the pain and the torment and the things you face right here on this earth, they will pale in comparison to the glory that awaits us in heaven. Yes, there can be greatness here on this earth right now. But if you plant your stakes, if you build a foundation here on this earth, it will fade away. Everything that you could build on this earth will fade away. And I'm going to show you how Abraham lived this out. By faith, he was called out and he obeyed. He didn't know where he was going. He went out not knowing where he was going. Verse nine, let's bring it up on the screen. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise. Pause. Okay. So God says, I'm going to call you out And I have a land of promise for you. When you become a Christian, you respond to this sense you're feeling on the inside. Faith has come alive inside of you because you've heard the preaching of the word. Faith comes by hearing. So faith has come alive inside of you and you respond to that. You don't know really what you're responding to. I always make the joke that women know, but men don't really know what they're committing to on their wedding day. All they do is say, I do. I see. I want. That's what we know. We're very visual. I see. I want. It's not until you get into the marriage, men, that you begin to realize what it actually means to live out those vows. Women, no, they're like committed from the get-go. They're like, yeah, absolutely. I've already made up my mind. 
Men are kind of like, you know, but that's the thing in our walk with God. We're like, yeah, this feels great. I've got to respond to this. But we really don't know what it's going to cost us. We really don't know what the call entails. And so we're called out of this world. That's the first thing we have to realize. We have been called out of this world. So if it feels like it doesn't fit out there, good. You're doing it right. You're doing it right. If you are suffering in your job for the namesake of Jesus, you're doing it right. If you're suffering in school at a young people who are in the class of college, you're doing it right. It's not going to fit out there in the world. Jesus said, if they've hated me, they're going to hate you. You're not greater than the master. The servant is not greater than the master. They're going to hate you, but you're not of this world. That's why they hate you. So we have been called out of this world. The second thing is that we have been called to dwell in a land of promise like Abraham has. But I want you to see, this is so interesting By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise. He dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. How did he do that? Dwelling in tents. This is so symbolic that if you just read the book of Hebrews, you're going to gloss right over it. Tents have absolutely no foundation. They are held to the ground by the pegs and the stakes that you nail into the ground. At case in point, no foundation on this sojourner's tent. We have to be very careful in our Christian walk that when God calls us out, we're not looking to build a foundation right here on this earth. There's nothing wrong with your best life now so long as that is the tool to get to where you're going. God will prosper you. I have no issue. We have no issue with riches because read the book of Genesis. Abraham was rich in both cattle, gold, and silver. No issues with riches. We can have things for the glory of God as long as things don't have us. And so we have got to settle that in our heart, that as a sojourner on this land, Abraham dwelt by faith on this earth as in a foreign land. We've got to click that in our heads right now because we get so flustered. We get so frustrated when things don't go our way on this earth when really we should just be happy we have breath in our lungs, sight in our eyes, hearing in our ears, and a beat in our heart because God has given us life. God has given us life. By faith, Abraham dwelt in the land of promise. So we are in this abundant land. America is an abundant country. And we're going to come back to abundance if we come back to God. We will. And we can have that abundance for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we can never have it have a hold on us. This is the thing that the Holy Spirit will do in our walk with him. He will look for those secret areas of our life that we're not willing to show him that we're not willing to let go. And when he puts his finger on it, if you can just release that. Remember, Abraham, God promised Abraham this son. God gave him the son and then several years later said, give me the son back. It's not that God wanted the son. He just wanted to test Abraham to make sure that that wasn't really the foundation of Abraham's life. We can have things, but they cannot have us. We dwell in this land, in this earth. I don't care if you live in the U.S. or any other part of the world. We dwell in this land as foreigners, as sojourners on this land. Those who seek a homeland. The sojourner term is like a resident alien. A resident alien. It's somebody residing in the land who really doesn't belong to the land. So if they finally discover aliens and they want to inhabit earth, 
will put up a great fight like Independence Day. But if they want to inhabit Earth, they're going to be resident aliens. Well, that's kind of what we are here on this Earth. We've been called out of this world. We don't function in the world system. The world is going like this. And all of a sudden, we come alive by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. God moves us out, and he's over here. And we begin to see, wait a minute, we're not jiving with the way of this world. We don't operate the same way. We're resident aliens. We don't belong here. That's why it doesn't look the same. And what we have to guard our hearts against is really being careful. You know, when we watch the news and we hear all the depravity and we hear all the destruction, it's so easy for our hearts to be weighed down by the burden of this world. And it's so important that we pray for those issues and meet any needs that we can, but we remember that the world is not going to look like God's kingdom because the world does not belong to the Lord. Satan is the God of this world. He has been overthrown through Jesus Christ for everyone who has faith. But for those who aren't operating in God's kingdom, they're on the devil's terms. And that's why it looks so crooked. And that's why it looks so messed up. Paul says it this way, you are Christ's ambassadors. What is an ambassador? It is somebody who represents one kingdom to another kingdom. You need to walk out there in your world. I need to walk out there in our world. And we need to realize we don't belong to this world. We are ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. The ministry that we have been given is a ministry of reconciliation. What is that? It's calling people back to God. That's why we're here. And when that's complete, when our time is done, we'll go on to the homeland. But that's why we can't stake ourselves in a sure foundation here on this earth. There's nothing secure. There's nothing safe on this earth. If it's on this earth, it can be broken. Jesus said, heaven and earth, heaven and earth will pass away, but not one stroke of my word will fail. So we have to keep our eyes on Jesus and his word. We have to dwell on this earth as though we're dwelling as resident aliens, realizing we don't belong to this place. So if it doesn't fit, it makes sense. We're sojourners. We're resident aliens. Here's the third thing I want to show you. We've been called out. We're called to dwell in this land, in this land of promise as sojourners. The third thing comes at the end of verse 9. Verse 9 says they dwelt in tents. He dwelt in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. God is a generational God. He is a generational God. You know, the proverb says that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And our mind automatically goes to the financial inheritance that we're going to leave our kids when we die. That's great. You need money to operate on this earth. But the greatest inheritance that we can leave our children is the Lord Jesus Christ and a relationship with him. Yes, son. Yes, daughter. We don't look like the world. It's because we're born again. It's because we're set apart. We don't act like the world. We don't do that because that's not who we are. We're of God's kingdom. And so the greatest thing that we can do, the greatest inheritance that we can pass on to our children as we're dwelling on this land as sojourners is the Lord Jesus Christ, the good news about who he is and what he has called us to in himself. That's the greatest inheritance. We have got to start thinking about that. If we're not already, us parents have to be mindful that everything we're doing in our lives shows either shows our children the way of the world or shows our children the ways of God. And so we have to be mindful as we're raising our children. This is the way that God says we are to do it. No, it doesn't look like the world, but this is the way that God says we are to do it. Because guess what? The enemy is out there and he is advancing his troops. He's raising up as many young people as he possibly can to show them the wrong way to go. 
I think about what my children are going to grow up in. Those of you who have young children, the world that they're going to live in. If we're so depraved right now, what will it look like when my child is in his or her 30s? What will it look like? But you know what? If I help them become the light of the Lord Jesus, if I help them have a secure foundation in Jesus Christ, they will shine as a beacon of light in the midst of this dark world. We have got to give our kids the gospel of the Lord Jesus. The enemy is fighting for your kids. Why don't you? Why don't I? Why don't we? He's after them all the time. You can go and study. Every communist movement, when they went in, there was a certain age. Nah, we're not going to bother with them. Let them die out. We're going to go after the kids. We're going to teach them in the schools. The Nazis, that's what they did. They're going after the kids. What do you think the enemy's doing now? He's going after our children. And it is a fight. The Bible says foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. But the rod of correction will drive it far from them. It's painful. My parents always said to me, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I still haven't figured that one out. How is it going to hurt you more than it hurts me? I'm starting to realize it's more of an emotional pain of having to inflict a physical pain upon your child, but it is for, Proverbs says, when you discipline your child, you deliver his soul from hell. We look our kids in the eye. Yes, from hell. We look our kids in the eyes and say, listen, foolishness is bound up in your heart. The rod of correction is going to drive it from you. And guess what? I'm delivering your soul from hell. And would you say that? Oh, okay. You know, it's not like they easily just go along with it, but you start to get that ingrained inside of them. You start to help them realize. And you know what? We're living, this is the thing. It's not the way of the world because the way of the world will swing it this way. I'm not going to discipline you out of love. I'm going to abuse you because you have wronged me. You have offended me. You have ashamed me. That's not love. Nothing about that is love. And our parents taught us that is not our parents. Many of our parents who came from some type of abuse had the knowledge in the, in Christ enough to know we're not going to go that route. We're going to discipline you in love, in love. And that always makes the difference. And you know what? We can give our children the love of the Lord Jesus, but we can't extract his correction and discipline from that. The world wants Jesus to be the tolerant Jesus, the Jesus who loves everybody free and there's butterflies and fairies everywhere. It has not, love is hard. Love is tough. Love will look you in the eye and say, that's wrong. That's wrong and you need to do what's right. You know, when Cain, before Cain killed Abel, Cain was really ticked off because Cain says to himself, he's like, I don't understand it, God. This is, God is actually walking on the earth at the time talking to these people. And Cain says, I don't understand it. You, you love his offering, but you don't love mine. And God just looks at him with such compassion. He says, Cain, don't you understand? Don't you understand that if you do good, you'll be accepted? If, but sin is knocking at your door, and its desire is for you. Nevertheless, you should rule over it. And so the greatest thing in our corrective discipline to our children is to teach them that they have the power over that sin. They have the power over that thing that is trying to destroy them. Because if they don't catch it now in their youth, they're going to struggle in their adulthood. We have to catch it now in our youth. And so God is a generational God. I love what people say because the scripture says it. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. It doesn't say his grandchildren. Why? Because God doesn't have any grandchildren. God has only children. Every time God appeared to somebody, uh, he said, I am the God of Abraham, 
Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of your fathers. I am the God of your fathers. You stand before me, and you and I have a covenant relationship. And God stands before us and says the same thing. You can be my son and you can be my daughter. God is a generational God. We have a duty and a responsibility as parents to lovingly correct our children. The next thing we see here is that they waited for a city which has foundations. It's, it's a hard thing to come to that place and to really take inventory and to say, okay, what is in my life? And, and, and I hesitate to do this, but the test for all of us is to ask ourselves, what is it that's in my life that if it was removed would cause me to question God? What is in my life that if it were to be removed would cause me to question God? Because see, that's the greatest test of all of our lives. What are we trying to hold on to here on this earth? Even relationships, if they're gone and broken here, the loved ones who are lost have really just, as the scripture says, fallen asleep, fallen asleep, and the dead in Christ shall rise. We have to keep our eyes on the eternal home, the loss that we may have suffered here on this earth. We will be reunited. It's about time we remind ourselves we will be reunited rather than holding a grudge against God. Every, every I can't, you know, one of the hardest things for me to do is listen to Christian radio because God had to take another one. You know, all these songs that we're writing, God, you know, though, God, though you do all this to me, I will trust in you. I'm sorry, because you've just exalted yourself above God. You just said that your trust is more powerful than God, that God needed to take that person, that God needed to oppress you, that God needed to inflict you and afflict you with something. No. We have to keep our eyes on that eternal home, that whatever we have suffered the loss of this earth, God will restore in heaven. God will restore in heaven. We have to call ourselves to a city whose builder and maker is God, a city that has foundations. There's not a whole lot taught in the Christian community anymore about heaven because we're so focused on the earth and we have a job to do here on this earth, but we're Christ's ambassadors. We're only here for a period of time. We're only here for a period of time. And we need to awaken ourselves to the truth that heaven does await us. And we do want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We do want to enter into the rest that Jesus has prepared for us. So we wait for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And that goes along with this next point in verse 13. You're going to see it here. This is one of the most perplexing scriptures I believe is ever written. It says, these all died in faith. I will never forget the time that this really got a hold of me. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. So keep in mind where we just came from. We just came from this account of Abraham. What did God say to Abraham? Come out and live before me. I will make you an exceeding great nation. There'll be more of your generation than those in the stars in the sky, innumerable than the grains of sand. And yet the scripture, the same scripture which speaks of Abraham's faith, says that he is one of the ones who did not receive the promises. Now, how do we reconcile that? How do they die in faith? Well, let's go back to Hebrews 11, 1. 
Let's go to the beginning of the chapter. Because the beginning of the chapter, and what I love, and I didn't give this to you back there on the screen, so don't worry about finding it. But what I love about the book of Hebrews, and what I specifically love about this chapter 11, chapter 11 is the faith chapter. It's the heroes of the faith. And one of the things you realize when you read Hebrews 11 is that none of the sins or the missteps of these men and women are recorded here in the scripture. And that's because our God is a redeeming God. And that's the beautiful part about it is none of their missteps. The Bible just says they had faith. They had faith. They had faith and it pleased God. Well, what then is a faith that could die not having received the promise? Well, Hebrews 11, one says now faith is the substance. That word translated is better understood as realization. Faith is the realization of the things hoped for. Everyone say realization. Now, faith is the substance or the realization of things hoped for, the evidence, which is really the confidence of those things not seen. Faith is the realization that it's mine even when I don't see it. That is how our forefathers could die in the faith because they realized that it was still theirs even if their earthly eyes didn't see it. Because guess what? In heaven, they can see. In heaven, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are looking down and they are seeing the fulfillment of the promise through Jesus Christ, the seed. We get so focused on what it looks like here on this earth that we forget there will come a time where we'll be in heaven and we'll still be watching God do it here on this earth. You can die in faith not having received the fulfillment of the promise because faith is the realization that it's yours even if you don't see it that is the most powerful thing about our relationship with God and how is that proven every one of us who's born again has already accepted that how did you accept that Jesus said to Thomas Thomas is the doubting Thomas he wanted to see Jesus's hands and his side in order to believe now Jesus who's so loving showed his hands and showed his side he in fact said Thomas touch my side but Jesus looked at Thomas and said You believe because you've seen, but blessed is he who believes and yet has not seen. Every one of us who is born again, who's a follower of Jesus, you've never, it's likely, it's very likely, 90% chance you've never seen Jesus. Maybe Jesus has appeared to one of you, but 90% of us, Jesus has not appeared to, and yet you have put your faith in him. You will not see him likely until you die, but you're dying in faith that he is there. You're dying in faith that he is real. What is this all about? It's about calling us back to the realization that our foundation can't be built on anything on this earth. We are simply pilgrims passing through on a journey with a focus as Christ's ambassadors. Our goal is to first be reconciled to God himself and second, to reconcile others to him so that they know his goodness and his mercy. But this... Hebrews 11, now go back over to verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. That is faith right there. You see, I have never met Jesus. I've heard his voice. I've never met Jesus, but I see him afar off by faith. I see in the spirit that great and glorious day where he will meet me at the gate and welcome me in. If I continue in the faith, I see afar off. You see afar off. You have to see afar off. You have more faith than you realize because you put your faith in Jesus and it's likely you've never seen him. 
That's the same faith it takes to operate in all the miracles that God has given us here on this earth. Verse 13, they were assured of them and embraced them. And here's the key, guys. They confessed that they were strangers. That word is sojourners. They were sojourners and pilgrims on the earth. Our confession has got to be my life, my hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I will dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, wholly lean on Jesus' name. Our hope, our foundation cannot be built on anything other than Jesus Christ because everything can be gone like that. Everything can. Heaven and earth will pass away. Jesus' word will never pass. Verse 14, for those who say such declare that they plainly seek a homeland. Now here's, here's the part that I want to begin to wrap up with because this to me is, is so important. This is where we miss it. Verse 15, and truly... If they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. Where do we miss it most of the time in our Christian walk? Where do we get caught up in a sin? Many of us have been delivered from these heinous sins that we we don't even know how we got into. Some exposure got us caught up into something. It's a skeleton in the closet. We want nobody to see it. But what gets us drawn back into that dark place? When we rehearse in our mind, when we let our mind go back to that place, the scripture says right here, and truly, if they had called to mind that from which they came, they would have had opportunity to return. And the greatest temptation that we face in this life is not a singular sin, a struggle that we have. The greatest temptation, the reason the enemy is out there is to draw us back to that from which we came. You know, the Egyptians, when they came out of the land of Egypt, they were headed to the promised land. They were headed to a land flowing with milk and honey. And yet they said, we want the leeks and the onions back in Egypt because at least that was stability. And the challenge to your faith in Christianity is whether or not you will take the temptation bait and go back to the world from which you came because it was easier. Maybe there wasn't as much persecution from friends. Think about when you got born again. I talk to young people all the time. I remember myself. I was clearly called out of that group that I was running with because I didn't look the same anymore. I didn't act the same anymore. I didn't use the same words as them. I didn't ingest the same things that, they, that we used to ingest. I was different. And they don't like that. Some will receive, but If I call to mind, see, so much of our struggle and temptation is thoughts and feelings because every thought is associated with a feeling. And if we call to mind what it felt like, we will easily have an opportunity to return. And so our goal as Christians, Proverbs chapter four, above all else, guard your heart for from it spring the issues of life. Proverbs 4.23, our whole focus is to make sure that we guard our heart against those thoughts of looking back, going back, the taste, the desire, the feelings that are associated with those thoughts. Because if we call them to mind, we will easily have opportunity to return. The most critical example, the most obvious example of this is Lot's wife. It's so interesting to me that in such a depraved city, Lot and his wife wrestled. If you read the scripture carefully, they were taking, if somebody showed up, if two angels showed up to me right now in this room to all of us and said, you got to get out of the city. How many of us are going to be like, well, wait a minute. You know what? There's, there's the car. 
can I take the car? And then I have to drive 30 miles home because at home is my dog and my cat. No, you got to get out of the city. But wait, I'm still not sure. There's the money under the bed and then my checkbook. But this is what Lot and his wife were doing. Read the scripture carefully. Why would they delay? The angel showed up and said, we can't destroy the city until you get out. So hurry up and get out. And yet they're still delaying. The next morning comes and they're still delaying. And the most dangerous and obvious severe example of this is even on their journey out, being saved, being saved, even on their journey out, Lot's wife turns around. What is back there in that city? That is so much better than what God has for you out over here. What could possibly be there for you? It's the same thing in our Christian walk. Obviously, if you know the story, she turns to a pillar of salt. She dies. It's a spiritual death for us. If we turn around and go back to where we came because it feels better, it feels good, it seems right, we will lose it. That's why Paul says, he who endures to the end will be saved. We must endure and too many of us, unfortunately, in our Christian culture are finding acceptance, are finding surety, safety, and security in things other than the Lord Jesus. He must be our sure foundation. He must. And in that, the greatest freedom, friends, that we can experience is the freedom of being a sojourner. Is the freedom of not having anything holding us to this earth. How is it that our forefathers could be sawn in two? If you, if you read the rest of the book of Hebrews 11, how, how is it that these great men and women could be persecuted, martyred in some of the most disgusting ways we could imagine? And the Bible says that in t- the last days, they'll be inventors of evil. Well, they use that evil to destroy these Christians and yet they died in faith with joy. Stephen is the greatest example of a martyr who told this great story, this recount, and then looked up to heaven and rejoiced. He had joy, even though they were stoning him. How is it? Because God, what God has done in our hearts, what he has done in our life through Jesus Christ is the greatest foundation of our life that nothing on this earth could really have a hold on us. Nothing on this earth could really have a hold on us. And the greatest question that we have to ask ourselves is what is holding us? What is tying us down to this earth? Because you will never be free until you're willing to let it go. We'll never be free. We'll never be free until we're willing to let it go. But rest assured, rest assured, our God is able and faithful that whatever we give him, Paul says he is able to keep. He is able to keep. You see, this is the word that we have to hear in this time because if not, we're becoming so blinded to the schemes of the enemy. We're falling into the same trap as the world. And God is awakening us. God is awakening us through his Holy Spirit to call us back that we are merely travelers with a purpose here on this earth. So what does that mean for us? Does it mean that we should walk around like, oh, you know, I mean, unfortunately, some of our brothers and sisters in other religions, they have said, well, God just wants us all to be poor. Well, that's not really scriptural. God has given to each a measure and a capacity. So what are you supposed to do? Well, that's the story of the talents. Fulfill your capacity. What has God given you? Fulfill your capacity. 
What has God called you to? Where has he placed you in the line of work? Use that as an outlet, as an outreach for the Lord Jesus Christ. You be the beacon of light where God has called you. But no matter what, what wealth and what, uh, what great stuff God gives you, don't let any of it have a hold on you. We can't let any of it have a hold on us. Whatever God wants to bring into my life that blesses me, I'm so grateful for it. But if it's gone tomorrow, praise God, I've got breath in my lungs, sight in my eyes. I've got hearing in my ears. I've got a beat in my heart. I've got a pep in my step. I've got the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever I have, whatever we have, we don't need to be poor, but we do know how to need. We do know how to uh, be in that place. Paul says, I know how to abound and I know how to abase. I've learned contentment in all things. And so wherever God has placed you is your scope of, of, of authority and your sphere of influence. Use that for his glory and recognize nothing on this life should be a foundation to each and every one of us because we will be called up. We will get to go to that great and glorious city if we do not lose heart, if we do not lose faith. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today in the name of Jesus and we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you have given us your word. As the scripture says, your word we've hidden in our heart that we might not sin against you. Today we're reminded that no matter what we experience on this earth, we know that we have a hope and an assurance in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we rest in that today. Lord, it's so easy to be burdened by the pain of this world, so easy to get caught up in fear and be disillusioned by everything that's going on in this world. And yet you are the strength of our lives. You are the answer. And so we rest in you today. Father, I thank you for each and every person in this room. I know that you would just take the word that you've shared with us today, Lord, and you will just sow it very uniquely, very specifically in each and every one of our hearts that we would be willing to ask ourselves, have I built a foundation on something other than Jesus? Am I trusting in something? Is there, is, is it the job? Is it the relationship? Is it my 401k, my 403b? Is it, is it my retirement? Is it, is it, have I put my faith in anything other than you? Is it the fact that I know that I get to go to a nice home filled with air conditioning? Is it, what is it? Lord, I pray that you would just locate each and every one of us by your spirit right now. And although we have things on this earth, although we enjoy and experience things on this earth, they are all for your glory. And so we release the care of them right now. Lord, we release the care of those relationships. Father, we release the care of the finances right now. We release the care of all those things because we recognize they could all be gone tomorrow. And we keep our eyes fixed on you. For you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. And we come to you today in Jesus' name. I want to ask.